This morning, what I'd like to do is something a little different than what maybe I normally don't do, okay? And it may seem a little odd at first, but be patient with me and work with me here, okay? And because it's all going to come together, and I hope what you're going to see is, if you just kind of stay with me this morning, how God is going to use three unique moments in time to communicate one beautiful message. I want to show you how God is going to communicate one beautiful message through three God moments that, that, that I've seen this week. And I want to share with you today. Okay. And so I'm going to just want to jump right into them. Okay. So here's God moment number one. Okay. An early morning devotion. All right. On Friday morning, I was sitting in my kitchen. And if you've been to my house, you know I have this really nice round table that my mom bought us for our anniversary. And uh, we were sitting at this table. I was sitting at this table. I have my cup of coffee, my Bible, and I'm reading my morning devotion for the day. And there's some beautiful sunlight coming in. It didn't start raining yet. Uh, so that, thank God for that, right? And so my devotion began with the words of Psalm 84. So if you've got your Bible, you can look at these together, right? Um, this is the, the, you know... Opening your Bible, that's cool, man, because like that's how you get engaged with God, all right? You know, things can get boring if you just sit there and listen, all right? So if you read along, you take notes, you, you engage, man, it's, it's much more engaging. So check this out, right? Psalm 84 says this, okay? How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, it even faints. That means I'm desperate. There's a desperation, right, to be in the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. I love that phrase. Is that, is that when we sing, what we're, what's happening for us is that our heart, which is filled with a gratitude for everything that God has done for us, is coming, that gratitude in our heart is coming through our lips. Okay? So that our heart is singing for joy, but also, what does he say? My flesh. My flesh sings for joy. That means that when we sing, we're singing with all of ourselves. Singing is not... Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord, of Lord. No, that's not that. You're not singing with your head, you're singing with your heart. Because the heart is the place of gratitude, okay? And so when we sing, we sing with gratitude in our hearts, right? And we allow our bodies to experience that, okay? My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. And while it's this, verse 3. Even the sparrow finds a home. And the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. Even the birds have a place in your house, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Now watch verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, right? So there's a blessing that comes when we're in God's house singing his praise. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of the anointed. Now jump down to verse 10. Watch this. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Can we say that together? For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather, and I love this, I'd rather, this, the psalmist says, listen, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather be a Tom, standing by that door, opening it back and forth as people come in. I'd rather do that for my entire life than be anywhere else. I'd rather, you know, I'm not going to camp out in the tent of wicked people with a party going on and a TV and, 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 and food and booze flowing everywhere, right? I don't want to do that. I'd rather stand at that door at God's house and open it back and forth than do that. 
he says. Now, now why is important, and we'll get there in a moment. Listening to that beautiful psalm, man, God says there's just amazing proclamations, right? He says, God's dwelling place is lovely. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. That the soul that God has given to you, that connects you with your creator, you know what your soul longs for? And it's always trying to find it, right? See, the soul longs to be with God. And when it's not with God, you know what it does? It searches for false substitutes. Your soul that God created you with, you are a heart, mind, and soul individual. Your soul, when it's not connected to God, will always be searching for something to fill the void. What it wants and what it cries out for is God. The heart and the flesh, they sing for joy to the living God. Now blessings come when you actually spend time with God in his house. Singing his praise. Now, here's the kicker, right? Better is one day in God's house than a thousand days elsewhere. And I started thinking about that, right? What is a thousand days? It's basically three years, right? Okay? So one day versus three years. What God is saying to us this morning is this. You can spend three years at every amusement park in the world. And one day with God beats it hands down. Pure and simple. You can go golfing at every major golf course in every part of the world, a different course every day of the week for three years, right? And you will not be filled with as much joy as one day with God in his house. You can go to a restaurant every day of your life, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You can meet up with people from all over the world for three years. And one day with God, it's better than all of that. It's better than all that. So as I read through those verses, man, and I was in my devotional time, right? I couldn't help but see in this overarching theme. It's really good to be here with the Lord. It's really good to be here. That's God moment number one. God number two, okay? So this weekend, Becky and I um, got to go to a marriage conference hosted by our friends at Church of the Highlands. James and Lucy invited us to come, and Davey and Ashley were there, and it was a real blessing. And I just, I want to encourage you, if you've never been, go. I mean, it is a real blessing to marriage, and it's a real encouragement to marriage. And I'd love to see a group of us go again next year. I think that would be really cool. But as Becky and I were sitting there, and we were there um, in, in our time of worship, but also a time to listen to the speakers and grow together, right? At the conference, there were several moments when Beck and I would just kind of look at each other. And she would take my hand, or I would take her hand. And I'd look at her, she would look at me. And these are the words that came out of our mouths. Wasn't planned, wasn't scripted, but we'd look at each other and say this. Maybe you know where I'm going. It's good to be here. It's good to be here. It's good to be here, not just because it's a marriage conference, right? But it's good to be here because as husband and wife, we were together with the Lord spending time in his house. It's good to be here. That's God moment number two. God moment number three. God number three, God moment number three actually took place several thousand years ago. This God moment actually took place um, as three men accompanied Jesus in a very special moment in time. So first you have Peter, right? 
Peter, who is the rock upon which the church is going to build. He's the fisherman who walked on water. He's the one who gets rebuked by Jesus, denies Jesus, but yet still has a special place with Jesus. Then you have these two brothers. I call them the original sons of thunder. Before there was ever Iron Man, there was James and John. Amen? Okay? Actually, that's what the Bible calls them, sons of thunder. All right? Look it up. It's good reading. The sons of thunder, long before Thor, right, were James and John. These three men are invited by Jesus to go on a hike up a mountain. And so they go with Jesus up onto this mountain, and they are there to spend time with Jesus. And when they get to the top of the mountain, something happens to Jesus. In fact, the Bible calls it this way. He was transfigured. He was transfigured. And I think that's a really good image of this kind of, of what it means to be transfigured, right? In this moment in time, he is transfigured. There's a visible transformation that takes place right before their eyes. Something happens to Jesus, right? In this visible moment, something occurs. And what is taking place is the inner divine glory of God that's just kind of tucked away in Jesus for nobody to see. For just a moment, that inner divine glory, all of, the, all of the goodness of God comes out for a moment. And there's a visible change that takes place. And here's what happens. It says two things happen. Number one is, Jesus' face starts to shine like the sun. You know that thing that actually came out yesterday? Okay. After weeks of rain, that beautiful sun, right? The Bible says that Jesus' face actually started shining like the sun, right? And the second thing that happened, his clothes became white, just like that on the screen. And as this visible transformation takes place, Peter, James, and John get a glimpse of it. And then they have a chat. And then all of a sudden, two additional people show up. First, you got Moses shows up, right? That burning bush, ten plague, red sea, ten commandment, golden calf, wilderness wonder, Old Testament law giver, slave deliverer, shows up on the scene. The great hero of the Old Testament, Moses is there, right? And then Elijah shows up. That locust eating, <laughs> guns blazing, spirit filled, Mount Carmel, fire from heaven, false prophet, delayer, slayer, flying chair, riding prophet up to heaven. He shows up. And now Jesus and Moses and Elijah are having the best time. And they're talking. And they're talking about Jesus getting ready to go to Calvary to die for the sins of the world and lead the new exodus out of slavery. And so here's what happens. Peter says something that made me pause. And I hope it makes you pause too. Here it is, verse 4. Peter says to Jesus, and hopefully you see where we're going, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now, we could spend a whole lot of time talking about the second half of that verse, but we're not. Okay? What God focused my attention on as I was preparing for this message was this one little phrase by Peter, and here it is. Lord, it's good that we are here. See, Peter may not have known a lot about life. He may have been a simple blue-collar fisherman, but he speaks a profound truth for all of us today. Something I don't want me to, I don't want to forget it, and I don't want you to forget it. And here's this one thing he doesn't want us to miss. Lord, it's good to be here. So do me a favor. Because this phrase really captured my attention. I want you to repeat after me. Lord, Lord, 
It is good that we are here. Let's try that again. Lord, it is good that we're here. Now let's put it all together. Ready? One, two, three. Lord, it is good that we are here. Now make sure you get a lot of southern accent into it, right? Okay. Yeah. Hey, y'all, it's good that we're here. Lord, it's good that we are here. Now, wouldn't it be great if we actually believed it? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we actually believed that? Wouldn't it be great if we actually lived lives that believed that truth and were consistent with that statement? Imagine how the landscape of our nation would change if everyone who professed to be a follower of Jesus would simply believe that one truth that it's good to be here, right? And I'm not talking about just here at Good Shepherd on a Sunday morning. I'm talking about the, the church in general, right? To, that if we believe that it's good to be here, right? Then, then, then that becomes something defining for our lives as a church, right? That it's good to be with God. It's good to be with the church. It's good to be with fellow believers. It's good to be with Jesus, right? If we actually believe that, how would that change the landscape of our country? Because the truth is, most people, for some reason or other, don't actually believe that, that it's good to be here. How do I know that? Well, the statistics don't lie. On any given Sunday, only 29% of all professing Christians go to a place to worship on the weekend. 29%. That means two out of every three are somewhere else for whatever reason. Now, I'm going to acknowledge, right, sometimes people are sick. We get that. There's no judgment there. Sometimes people have to work. Again, we're not judging you for that. We're not, we're, that's, not, that, that's, that's, that's understandable. Things happen. Sometimes you have to work. We, we get that. Okay. Sometimes people are homebound. They can't come out. So we take church to them. Right. I'm not talking about being sick. I'm not talking about going through maybe like a depression where you can't even get out of the house. I'm not talking about being homebound. I'm not talking about, you know, work schedules, those kinds of things. I'm talking about everything else. How many of us at one time or another didn't actually believe that statement to be true, that it's really good to be here? I know I did. I had moments in my life when I didn't. I remember growing up in high school, I'd come up with every single reason to skip church. And I was, a, I was a, my parents worked at the church. That's why my kids can't get away with it, because I know all the excuses. <laughs> Why? Because I didn't want to be there. And I didn't believe that it was good to be there. And how many of us are even in that moment right now where we're struggling actually believing that it's good to be here, right? See, see, deep down, you don't believe that it's good to be here. That, that there's many other places that you would rather be right now. That deep down, you think this whole one day with God is better than a thousand days elsewhere. In your mind, you think, well, that's nice. But it's not true for me. I can tell you 20 other places I'd rather be right now than with Jesus. Deep down in your head and heart, you may know that you should want that. You should want that to be a part of your life, but you're just not there. And I think the reason that we struggle with this, and I'm just going to tell you all, the reason we struggle with this, right, is because 
We have bought into our sinful flesh. We have been deceived by Satan's deceptive schemes. And they, he is in an active mode. See, Satan, what he wants to do is pull you away from Jesus by pulling you away from the people of God. And he can do both at the same time. He's one. That leads us then to embrace three mindsets that will harm your faith forever. Here's the first one. It's real simple. <laughs> it's real simple. I want to be somewhere else. So, so when someone asks you, do you want to be here on this day with Jesus, or do you want to be somewhere else, what's your answer? I want to be somewhere else. I want to be somewhere else. I want to be in bed. Right? I want to be on the golf course. I want to be in the mountains. I want to be on the beach. I want to be in an amusement park. I want to be having lunch or maybe brunch. <laughs> I want to be playing a game. I want to be watching some TV. I want, to, I want to go to this event or that event. Heck, I even want to just go into the office and get some extra work done before Monday. I want to, and then you fill in the blank. I want to, and you fill in the blank, right? I want to be somewhere else. That's the first thing. Number two, sometimes people struggle with this. I don't get why being here matters. I know for the longest time that was me, right? I don't get why being here matters. And maybe that's what affected the first one is I want to be somewhere else, right? This mindset has fueled the worst lie in Christianity. And I'm going to tell you, here's the worst lie in Christianity, right? You've heard it before, so I'm going to just point it out to you, okay? The worst lie in Christianity is, is, is this. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I'm going to tell you, that is the most deceptive lie on the planet. And here's why. Here's why. You can't follow Jesus detached from Jesus. Can I say that again? You can't follow him if you're detached from him. You can't follow him if you're detached from his church. From the people of God. Christianity was never meant as a solo affair. It is always meant to be lived out in community. And you can't follow him, right? If you're detached. If you're unengaged. If you're missing. If you're just doing something else other than being with him and his people. You can't follow Jesus detached from word and sacrament. You just can't do it. And here's why. Because eventually, whatever you had stored up from the previous time will run out, and then you will be out. How do I know that? Because I've seen it over and over. How many of you have seen people do the exact same thing I'm talking about? They were once there. They're no longer there. And what they're doing is they're writing out their stored up faith. And when that runs out, they will be out. That's what happens to all of us. You can't do it, right? And then number three. Okay. Oh, sorry. Before I get to number three. This lack of understanding, right? Being here matters leads to this attitude, right? Well, if I don't go this week, I'll just go what? Next week. <laughs> What's the big deal if I miss one week? Because when you miss one week, then you miss two weeks, then you miss three weeks, then you miss two months, then you missed a year. It's just church. I can go next week. Now, here's how you understand why being here Here's how, let me, let me give you an example of how you can begin to process if you, this is your mindset, okay? Here's how you can begin to understand this. 
When you have a rhythm of life that you are consistently, that's the key word, right? Consistently planning things that keep you away from being here, okay? And again, the key word is consistently, right? Something you're doing on a regular basis. For example, you regularly plan things on Saturday night late so that you're too tired for Sunday morning. If you consistently do that, then what you're saying is, I don't want to be here, and this doesn't really matter all that much, and I don't even know why it does. So what I'll do is I'll just consistently plan things late on Saturday night so that I'm too tired to get up on Sunday morning so that I can't be engaged with God. That's one example. Another example is I'm consistently making plans that interfere with my time with God. I've got friends. They want to go to brunch. So they want to go to brunch like every other week. Okay, great. What time shirt start? Well, it's not a rhetorical question. What time shirt start? 11, right? What time do you plan brunch? After 11, right? Go to 10. Go to Waffle House at 10. You can be here by 11, okay? All right? You want to go downtown and eat? Go afterwards. Why? Or go to their service. Why? Because what you're saying is, this doesn't really matter. And what you're saying is, I don't even know why it matters, so I'm, I'm going to plan things over it. Okay? All right? When you don't have clarity in your mind why being here matters, right? What you'll do is you'll embrace a lifestyle that doesn't believe that it's good to be here. That's what's going to happen. Okay? And then number three, and this is the, probably the worst place to be in, right? Some people want to be somewhere else. Some people don't know why they're here, so they're not here. Other people don't actually want to be here. You don't actually want to be here. You don't care where you're at. It's not because you have a better option somewhere else. You do, you'll be anywhere as long as it's not here. And that's the darkest place to be. It means that something in your life you are hiding. Something in your life you don't want exposed for other people to know. It could be your sin. It could be somebody else's sin. It could be a combination of your sin and somebody else's sin all put together. And therefore, you don't want people to know about it, right? It could be that you're in a conflictual relationship with another church member or even a pastor and you don't want to, avoid, you don't want to deal with it, you don't want to talk about it, you, don't want to, you want to avoid it, so you just stay away. It could be that you're overwhelmed with shame and guilt. And the moment you walk from that door, all your shame, all your guilt, all your frustration, all your angst starts pouring on. Maybe it's simply you've been gone for a long time, and when you start walking into church, what happens to you is you feel embarrassed, and you feel ashamed, and you feel like, you know, that there's something, like, is somebody going to say something to me? And so church, please never say anything negative or sarcastic or whatever to a person who walks back into church for the very first time after a long time, because it takes a lot of courage and guts to walk back in. Amen? Man, the only thing I want to hear out of your voices, and I love you, but I'm going to tell you straight up, the only thing I ever want to hear when somebody walks back in the church, maybe after a year, two years, whatever it may be, is, man, I'm glad you're here. That's it. That's it. Make people feel absolutely like they're the most important person that walked in the door when they walk in the door. I don't want to be here. Maybe you're overwhelmed because deep down you know something is wrong and because walking in here means i got to deal with what's wrong. Maybe I'm mad at God and that's why I don't show up. Maybe I'm hurt by God. Maybe I'm struggling to actually believe in God, right? You don't feel like this is a place for you. 
Well, I just want to tell you, just, just straight up, man. I want to tell you, there's some very good news for all of us today. You don't have to stay that way. I don't have to stay that way. We don't have to stay that way. What Peter experienced on that mountain is the same thing you and I can experience. What led him to say, Lord, it's good to be here, is something that can lead us to say the exact same thing. Watch this. Go to chapter 17, verse 5. So he, that being Peter, was still speaking, right? When behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said this. I love it, right? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So church, listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces. They were terrified. But Jesus came, he touched them, and he said this, Rise up and have no fear. James, rise up. Don't be afraid. Peter, rise up. Don't be afraid. John, rise up. Don't be afraid. Now watch this. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Look at that very last line. They raised up their voices, their faces. No more shame. No more fear. No more guilt. No more, no more, no more pain, right? They raised it up. And what do they see? They see Jesus. They're looking into the eyes of Jesus. You want to know why it's good to be here? It's real simple. When you are here, you get to be with Jesus. And there is nowhere else on the planet that is better than that. There's nowhere else that you can go that is better than that. Why is it so important to be here within the context of the local church with the community of believers and under word and sacrament? It's because you get to be with Jesus. That's why. You get to hear the story of Jesus again and again and again. You get to hear the promises of Jesus again and again and again. You get to hear time in and time out, over and over and over. God loves you. God cares for you. God saved you, rescued you, delivered you, gives you hope and peace. God cares about you as an individual. God accepts you for who you are. He welcomes you into the family. When you're here, you get to sing the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. I know sometimes you may feel like you can't sing. I get that. I am that, right? But hell, I've been rescued from damnation. I've been rescued from the wiles of the devil. I have been forgiven of my sins. you dang right I'm going to sing about it. Don't be afraid to sing about what God has done for you. If you can sing your football fight song because they won, you better dang be well singing a hymn to praise to Jesus. Just let it come out. Let everything he's done for you come out. You get to declare that he has broken the power of sin, death, and the devil in your life. You get to receive every single week the forgiveness of sins that Jesus spoke into our ears and we get to taste with his lips. You get to be blessed by Jesus just as the Father gave his confirmation blessing on his Son. He gives a confirmation blessing on you. He says, you are my beloved son and daughter. I love you more than anybody else on this planet. That's why I died for you. I have rescued you. I have delivered you. I have washed you in the waters of baptism. You belong to me and nobody else. 
You are bought with the price. You get to hear week in and week out, well done, thy good and faithful servant. God is pleased with you. God is honored by you. God welcomes you into the family and gives you new life. You get to hear his word, a word that changes the way we think, changes the way we believe, changes the way we do life, changes who we are. It convicts us of our sin, but then it also opens us up to the forgiveness in this place. You want to be changed? Change only happens when you spend time with Jesus. I am convinced of it. Maybe there's something in your life right now that's not going well. All I can tell you is this. Spend time with Jesus. Let Him work on whatever shell you put around your heart. Let Him work on whatever barrier that you've wedged inside of there. If you have some sin in your life that's unconfessed and you need forgiveness, let Him work on it right now in this place. I am convinced now more than ever, and I can't wait to spend the rest of my life talking about this, is that Jesus has the power to change lives, to heal people, to restore broken marriages, to restore relationships with kids. But it all comes to embracing Jesus. And so if you've never embraced him as your Lord and your Savior, I'm just going to encourage you to do that right now. If you've been walking away from him, let's step back into him. When you come up to communion today, I want you to taste and see that God loves you. When you come into this rail, I want you to just come with an open heart and say, God, I have so much baggage. I have so much pain. I have so many things I've done wrong. I'm going to leave it right here with you today, and I'm going to walk out of here a fresh person. I'm going to walk out of here a changed person. I'm going to walk out here a different person, all because of Jesus. Why is it so good to be here? Because you get to be with Jesus, and there's nothing better, y'all. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, there are so many things that this world says is better than you. There are so many things that this world wants to grab our attention and grab our hearts and grab our energy and grab our time and grab our relationships. But all of them will be unsatisfying and unfulfilling. They will leave us in the dust. And what it will leave us is in a broken mess. And so today, I don't know who needs to hear today, but I know I need to hear today, is that with Jesus, man, all things are possible. With your grace, all things are possible. With your love, you can change us as your people. So open our hearts to embrace you as Lord and Savior. Receive the message of salvation into our hearts. Help us to turn our lives over to you and to your care and to your will. Help us to believe that you love us and have never, and that the truth that is there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if we're holding on to something that needs to be confessed, if we're holding on to something that's wrong, we're just going to say it now. We're going to say it to you. We're going to say it to the people that need to hear it. We're going to speak it and go, this is where I've messed up. This is where I've broken. This is where I've harmed you. This is where I've left you. This is where I haven't loved you. This is where I haven't served you. It may be a spouse. It may be a child. You may have spoken in harsh ways. Um, you, you need to ask for forgiveness of 
that today. And, and whatever it is, man, because we are here with Jesus right now, he's going to give us the courage and the strength and the power to walk in to what we are running from. We ask this in your name and we pray it by your grace. And all of God's people said, amen. 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 Let's stand, church.